everybody. Welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire. And all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up, and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am here with the sugar queen, the one and only Sherry Yard. Sherry, thank you for taking time today. I know you're uh, you're busy making cookies nonstop. Every time I reach out to you, you've got orders for thousands of cookies. I think the last one was dreidels. Dreidel, dreidel. Yes, indeed. I just love. Well, first, thank you for having me. This is I just I just think I hope I don't giggle too much because the one thing when I just hear your name, I just I light up like a like a candle. I just light up. And um, I giggle. We really, I, I giggle around you all the time. So I'll try and be as straight as I possibly can. And yes, I've been very busy. Good. Where's the wood? Let's knock it. Busy with, um, I, I like to call myself the fixer in Los Angeles when people don't know how, or, you know, massive volume, don't know what they're going to do or how to do something. It's a last minute project. They call me and then I'm like, yes, this is my gig. I love 20,000 of something or a thousand of something, you know, that's who wants to get out of bed for two muffins. <laughs> I mean, get into bed often. <laughs> yeah. I mean, good. Goodness gracious. It's always interesting to hear the numbers of stuff that you do. I mean, you know, you've done, well, we'll put it into perspective. I mean, how many times have you catered the Oscars with, with Wolfgang in the past, right? So numbers for you is like no big deal. Yeah, it's, it's a military operation. I love that part. Uh, and yes, I've catered the Oscars. Just, it was my 19th time because I stayed oh, just short of 20 years. And he insisted that I stay for the last Oscars, even though I officially gave notice for the first of 2013. Um, and I stayed on. And what folks really don't know about the Oscars, which is fascinating, is that the Oscar dinner itself is kind of the easiest part. And it's my time to kind of shine and do creative sculptural things. And it's only 1600 people. What they don't know is that we feed every green room and that's fairly easy as well. We feed the security. We fail, so there's box lunches and we make the cookies. We don't buy this. We make everything for, for security. And that's not to say, not even um, the staff that are producing, the production staff, uh, we're feeding anywhere between starting two weeks in advance, 600 and upwards of 1,500 people a day, three times a day. In a cafeteria sense, in that people can walk up and take anything they want. So you know how that rolls. Someone, especially when it comes to baking and pastry, they were like, ah, oh, I can take four brownies and I'll bring it back to my desk or I'll bring them home. And that's just the way it is. So that's kind of the three ring circus of the Oscars. It isn't, it's a true catering job. Often with catering, it's kind of easy. Uh, listen, it's schlepping and I don't want to, you know, it's, it was such a difficult time and anybody who works in catering, uh, high praise and bow to, uh, to all of you out there. But the, the thing is, it's a three ring circus. And when you do a catering job, you know, uh, you're going to have 2000 chicken breasts and X amount of steaks and whatever you're going to do. Uh, and, and, and that's it. But when it comes to something like that, like an Oscars, that's it's the big challenge of the year. And I actually wind up 
like a month in advance working out, eating more, eating better, just so that it's like I'm getting prepped for the marathon. <laughs> yeah. So we jumped. That was a big jump to forward. Let's start, let's go back and start. I think, you know, you've had and and still are continuously pushing the envelope and always producing beautiful products. How did it all start? What was like this catalyst to say, yeah, you know what? I think I want, because I mean, I know this, I know the stories and they're fun and that's why we giggle and laugh and and, yes. and goof around. Um, and by the way, if you folks knew half of the shenanigans that Sherry and I got a, <laughs> have gotten into in our life, you would be in awe. Um, <laughs> but where did it all start? Like it, it's people flock to you for, the fixer, the big numbers, but also there is a, a whole slew of people in the pastry world that will follow you anywhere and, and reach to you for assistance, for guidance. And there's a reason why. And, and I really want you to kind of give that basis of how it started and, and, and like that process of how it moved for you. So many vivid pictures come in my mind. Such a big question. So many I answers. know, I know. I guess you, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I think that's huge. Uh, my upbringing was uh, in, an, in an Irish Catholic slash working class neighborhood, Garrison Beach. And our, my neighbor's parents were garbage men, policemen. My father was a fireman. And my father was always the one where he had two and three jobs at the same time. And so it was always around uh, the firemen, and they're just such a group of taking care of one another. You know, at the firehouse, they cook for one another. So because of this, all of these different experiences and influences more, moreover on my life came to be. I just love being around teams of people. I love being a part of a group. You, you realize, you know, the old saying, there's no me in team, or there is a me in team, there's no I in team. <laughs> there is an I in team. There is, there's, a, it's in the A-hole, it's in the A-hole, it's in the letter A, if you look at it, there's a- in the Oh my, <laughs> okay, well, there you go. And so because of that, that really, that excites, it always excited me. And to be a leader within a, a team was um, was kind of a, an eventual, you just have to be there, but I much more prefer to be with the group, to make things, to create something, um, to to just be around everyone. So um, I would I would learn how to make a drink. My family's good Irish Catholic family. We'd learn how to make a drink back in Brooklyn. And we were around all sorts of different cultures and people. And, you know, it was kind of just work hard. And you know what? As Spike Lee says, do the right thing. That's huge to me. If someone asks me some of my mantras or my, my mantra, and to me, it's always just do the right thing. What would you want done to you? Um, you know, kindness is the word now of, of, of the, the, you know, the, the decade or something here. But for me, it was learn, be curious, be, you know, be excited about what you're doing and just keep pushing forward. So that's kind of where it really started. I got a Sears catalog when I was, I think, uh, six and we would all go through the Sears catalog and I saw a chemistry set. I was freaked out by the chemistry set. And, and I don't think most of the people that are listening to this, unless they're in our age bracket, know what a Sears and Roebuck catalog is. I mean, that thing was like, uh, I would say it's like a phone book, which most of you have never seen either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was super thick and had all these gorgeous pictures, black and white. And you occasionally the center would have a few color shots. And those were like their, 
yes. cherry picked oh. items, right? I mean, think about sections for housewares and clothing and all of that. I guess it would be like Amazon now, but in a you know, I mean, Amazon's explosion of that. But that's what it was for us and for for me. My my, I came. I'm one of four girls. Okay, and so my sister and I are born on the same day, two years apart. My older sister, so I'm number two. That's why I have brown eyes. And everybody else is blonde hair, blue eyes, grew up in, um, you know, in this very kind of protected area. And the Sears catalog was this vore. You could go into this book and and just see something you've never seen before. I mean, I didn't know that someone's fa father could be more than a fireman, a policeman, a sanitation worker. I didn't know that. I thought everybody's mother stayed home and talked on the phone and smoked cigarettes. I didn't know these things that we were sheltered. I mean, Story. And um, and and so to, to see the chemistry set and be so curious about it. I was so curious about everything, always asking questions. I was such a pain in the ass. And my mother and I, she said, what do you want? I said, I want the chemistry set. And my sister wanted a doll. And my other, you know, sister wanted whatever. And, and so finally she acquiesced. She gave me the chemistry set and then locked it in her closet because she was afraid of, oh, sorry. She was afraid it was gonna blow up the house. Um, and so- <laughs> Which by the way, Back in the day when we were kids, we probably could have blown up the house with the chemistry set. Right, because everything was out. They didn't have those training doors on things. No. I could have got on the bleach and the whatever else and the peroxide and thrown shit together. So yeah, she kind of kept me away from it. But that's, I mean, it was like this culmination. And at the same time, Chris, you're ready for this? My grandmother and her brother, uh, right after the Depression, uh, during the Depression, uh, worked at the Waldorf Astoria in New York City. Oh, wow. And my uncle was a bellhop, her brother, and she was a turndown maid. Good Irish folk. And she wound up getting married and staying at home and married a plumber. And my uncle wound up rising in the ranks and became the general manager of the Waldorf Astoria Hotel. So I was around this kind of like around me, this fencing in of me was the planks of hospitality. And my grandmother knew how to set a beautiful table. And we had Czechoslovakia and China. The house, my mother gets upset with me when I say it was more of like a little cottage. Uh, my grandma's house, a retirement home. And there were there were summer homes, you know, there were summer homes in Brooklyn. They weren't considered uh, real homes. They were just bungalows that people would have um, uh, for the summertime. But we wound up after the depression moving into this neighborhood. And my grandmother was like Zsa Zsa Gabor, even though she, even though she wouldn't, uh, we didn't have a lot of money. She wore these, she would save up and she has all these peignoirs and with all the, you know, the mirabou around the outside, she have matching slippers. And I would, we would go and sleep over her house and get dressed up. And then she would serve us A&P soda. The first time I ever tasted Chris, oh my gosh, was my grandmother had us blindfolded and she gave us different flavors of A&P soda in beautiful crystal glasses and we sat around this like used table uh we actually put a tablecloth on it you know so there was this pageantry in my life and fantasy in my life that went along that that i had no idea living in a bubble uh what what the real world was about i didn't know i mean we were just so blessed that they found the smallest little things um just so special and to create special moments. My grandmother had a radio on top of the, the refrigerator. And I remember the songs that would play from it. And she would dance around the, the kitchen. And then I found out later on, um, often when she woke us up at uh, 11 o'clock to have our, or 12 o'clock for our midnight snacks is because she had a few cocktails. <laughs>
<laughs> I love it. And so I tasted. So now there you are, I'm tasting and there's this hospitality and then there's this grouping of firemen. And it was a really magical, magical time uh, in uh, the, the 60s because I was born in 64. So 60s to early 70s. Yeah, so that's what kind of all got started. So cooking, getting yeah. into that whole process of choosing baking and pastry, becoming a yeah. baker. Where did that start and where did you go to receive the knowledge? Because I think it's the stories I, I hear are amazing from you. And really? I think you need to share some of them. <laughs> well, you know, I... Um... Speaking of like, that's a perfect foray into the, you know, from pageantry and grandma to the Rainbow Room in New York City. So I, well, it's, there's a lot of convoluted things in between. I worked at Downstate Medical Center um, in the grants research department because I was a good Catholic girl and I went to Catholic, all girl Catholic school until I was 18. And then from there, guess what? You're supposed to go from the hand of your, your father to the hand of your husband. And I had to learn how to do stenography. Oh my God, the stenography and typing and dictaphone and all of that, because that was part of her curriculum. And uh, I wound up instead in a hospital because one of the Gosh, I worked at McDonald's. I mean, I could just go on for days. So while I was in high school, going to uh, all girl Catholic high school, uh, my father worked across the street. A new restaurant was opening. It was called McDonald's. And we know new McDonald's. It was a big thing. Coney Island Avenue, Avenue. And he said, you know, they're opening up over there. Maybe you want to get a job. I was just barely 16. And I and for me, it was so far away. It was two miles from our house and then two buses to get there. And I went to McDonald's and I got the job and therein lies all this craziness, like learning back in the day, you learned how to French fry, French fry on a 15 minute video, how to serve the gas, how to upsell, all these things. And what was incredible was for the first time in my life, the diversity of the team members at McDonald's, like in one fell swoop, I learned systems i learned another layer of teamwork working together uh goals all these crazy things i really attribute so much of my life and my life skills to that early development i mean i had friends that were greek and turkish and italian and all these types of cultures that i'd never seen someone from ethiopia i'd never seen any and any culture like that and and i'm talking deep new york first second generation uh folks that if i went to their homes i was able to now try ethiopian food or greek food you know just pretty crazy stuff and that was just what their moms were cooking so that's that next layer in my life of wow deliciousness systems and as i graduate high school i say okay oh my god it's so much fun at mcdonald's you know that we're still friends there's 30 of us that are still best friends from mcdonald's from 16 to 17 18 years old so that says a lot about the hiring process and who you bring on and the dedication so from mcdonald's um I, I meet a guy whose sister is going to the Culinary Institute of America. And he says to me, you should really go there because all you do is talk about food. All you do is throw parties. That's a big thing. I threw parties for everything. If the sun was coming up, I threw a party. I wanted to have a beach party. I lived like 10 blocks from the beach, but then I needed to have a beach party at my house and I brought in sand. So it was always entertaining, always having fun, always having fun with food. And I would cater it myself, you know, chicken parmesan or, you know, uh, you know, hot dogs wrapped in, in pastries, just silly, silly stuff. 
And one little by little people kept saying, you should go to culinary school. And uh, I looked up and I found New York City Technical College in Brooklyn, New York. And what I loved about it, it was local. Um, it was very inexpensive. It was only like, when I say, you ready for this $200 per semester, $300 per semester. So I could jump in and afford it. And also I could work in the city. And I had read about the most magical place that reminded me of my grandma and it was the Rainbow Room. And they had just opened up and they were looking for people. So I went and I applied for a job and they gave me the job. Are you ready for this? As the cigarette girl. <laughs> <laughs> and they gave me a little button hat and I had these high heels and I slid up the skirt and there was a certain way to hold the trays and all of this. And within two months, guess what? I got fired from the job. Not because I did a bad job, because the surgeon, surgeon general said you're not allowed to sell cigarettes in a restaurant. So I got a promotion, not fired. And then I, they, they liked me enough to start to train me as a front waiter. So I went as a front waiter at the Rainbow and Stars room where Rosemary Clooney is singing and the McGuire sisters. I know people don't even know who these people are, but I was just on that like that little ladder, that in-between step where I had my eyes. Tony Bennett came and sang. Um, Rosemary Clooney folks would be George Clooney's mom. That's uh, Uncle Aunt. Aunt, excuse me. Aunt, exactly. So George's aunt. And then, uh, well, as people can relate, Tony Bennett, Lady Gaga, there you go. And so, you know, there I was amidst all of this pageantry again. And the Rainbow Room is just spectacular. Do you know that they had three people full time that only did costumes? So mm -hmm. this is like right my alley. We had a costume for, you know, for the Rainbow and Stars room. We had a separate costume or uniform for uh, the room itself. And the room spun around and they had two different bands. They had a salsa band and a big band. And it was just an incredible time. And most importantly, as it goes to food, uh, Andre Rene was in the kitchen. And Albert Kuhlman, who was the former pastry chef of the White House during the Carter administration, it was in the kitchen. And I would go downstairs into the kitchen and I would find myself often uh, getting spatted out. Why are you still here? Why are you in the kitchen? Get back upstairs. Get back upstairs. And one day the HR lady said to me, you know, there's a job in the kitchen. Why don't you go in there? And let me tell you, I was making spectacular money. And the people that were coming in on Tuesdays and Thursdays that you would think Oh my God, they were throwing out $100 bills. It was a crazy, it was the 80s at this point, And it was a crazy time. People were just having fun. It was like almost like the roaring 20s when you have that visualization um, of that. And so I wound up eventually going into the kitchen instead. And so I made, are you ready for this? This is, this is one for the record. I made as much money as I did in one day in the front of the house. I made an entire week and barely made that much money. And it was taxed, of course. <laughs> never taxed back then. So I was walking around with like money. I was like, oh my God, like Rockefeller, just running around with money. My family just thought I was out of control. And my family would come up and visit because on the second show of Rainbow and Stars, often it wasn't sold out, but we wanted every seat to be full. So I'd call my mom or the neighbors on the phone and say, hey, come on in. Bismarck needs somebody to fill seats, you know, just two seats. And they'd come in and what they wore for the local wedding and get all dressed up and then come to the table and, and be there for a 10 o'clock show. So it was a, that was another crazy magical time uh, being there. And while I'm there and I'm, I decide I'm gonna go to culinary school and I go to um, LA, no, I'm sorry, LA Church, New York City Technical College where you know this great place, I was able to 
um, get a little taste of everything, front of the house, back of the house, accounting. Um, well, I cooked a dinner. I don't know, you know, Edna Lewis. Of course I know Miss Edna Lewis. So Miss Edna Lewis was um, for my final, I was the chef for the lunch for Edna Lewis. Um, so I really feel like I'm Forrest Gump. I've been like in moments in history and time all, all throughout my career that I've just been able to touch or been in, be inspired by these people. So while I'm at the Rainbow Room, I meet a guy that actually is a partner at Marche and my mom Roche and Tribeca. And there was David uh, Boulay, uh, who was there, right? And then Deborah oh my God, this, You're talking the beginnings when Drew opened <laughs> with David Boulay. Oh my gosh. So um, I'm there and David leaves and he's opening up Boulay and Deborah takes over as the chef. So it's the first time I'm ever able to work with a woman chef to this point. I haven't even seen, I saw one other woman in the pastry department at the Rainbow Room. I've never seen a woman uh, in our classes, of course, we had some great people in our classes and teachers, the instructors that we had, uh, Patricia Bartholomew, Julia Jordan, but I've never worked with a leader in the kitchen. And she and Deborah had a sous chef, uh, Debbie, and it was the first time to work with women. So that was so cool. And of course, you know, they, they received at that point, I think it was two stars from uh, Brian Miller at the New York Times. And then Drew decided he was going to open up Tribeca Grill. So I were part-time at night as the night plater at Tribeca Grill, which was like, I went from being in a beautiful Maserati, you know, at, at, at Marche to a freaking Porsche, like a souped up, like. And who Porsche. was running? And I'm curious as to who was running Tribeca Grill when you were there. Was that, was Pat Trauma there? Top, Pat Trauma. Don Pintabono. Donnie Pintabono. Jerry Hayden was on the line. Pratt was on the line. Oh so my God. The OGs. This was the the line. These were the line cooks who worked with Charlie Palmer to open up. Well, first Larry Forgione and Charlie Palmer to open up River Cafe. Right. So this is like iconic. I mean. So I get. I'm I'm just kind of on the branches of these trees, kind of like a little leaf, kind of extended to all of these folks that you know we we all work together, and of course. Claudia Fleming was the morning production person. Oh my Chad, goodness. Your sweetheart of a friend, Claudia Fleming. And um, and so I was the pain in the ass who came in at night and we we did, my God, 750 covers a night. And Drew, I mean, you talk about somebody who's just spectacular lessons to learn. I mean, at the Rainbow Room, we had an incredible front of the house, Joe Baum uh, and all those folks over there. Uh, but Drew Nearpoint was that was my next like touchstone of how the heck does he have a steel trap mind, a memory like no one else. He'll remember the names, the shoe sizes, the, uh, the last time he saw someone, what they ate the last time. VIP, soigne, don't hose somebody like all don't these. Hose me, don't bro. hose me. Don't hose me. And then you just knew that he walked through the dining room because I was helping the salad station out, Elena Omania. And she'd say, everybody in New York City is having a salad. She was from Venezuela. And we were like, like whirling dervishes. And, she, and she'd say, oh my gosh, it's the third time they're having salads in New York to now. Now I can go home. But then I had to do dessert still with her. And I would know that Drew would be running, walking through the, not, through the dining room. And I knew there was a tidal wave coming because he'd say, you know, send them this, send them that. And next thing you know, my board had a hundred tickets on it. And I'm not exaggerating. 
a hundred tickets yep. across the board at Tribeca Grill. And it was just such, again, it just kind of fell in line with a more modern version of Rainbow Room. And it just gets my, you know, my, that's, you know, I just love that, that craziness of not one thing, so many different things going on and having, you know, to have eyes in the back of your head. Uh, but yeah, just kind of went on from there. And then what happened? Oh, I went to London. I got a scholarship because that little school I went to, New York City Technical College, what I did read, and I really always tell the kids that I work with, like, look to see all the opportunities within a school or a scholarship. And I got a scholarship to study in, in London um, at a hospitality school. And it's now called Ealing College of Higher Education, but it was a little local school. And I, I wound up working with... Um, confectioners from Mars. I mean, I have a very short attention span if you haven't been able to figure this out, everybody. So I knew that I couldn't go to France because I, I would I would totally- and By the way, the, the people that she's talking about, they aren't from Mars. Elon Musk didn't bring them back from one of his <laughs> weird trips. We're talking Mars bars. Mars, oh, right, right, right. the confectionery yeah, yeah. candy bar company. Exactly, exactly. And my uh, intentionally went to London because I just, as much as many of my friends, Claudia went to, to Paris and she worked there. I just didn't have the attention span to speak another language. I could barely, to this day, uh, master the English language. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I spelled Sucre. Sucre is C-S-U-C-R-E-E. -S -E. I spelled it wrong until I wrote a book. And then at which point I got spell checked or corrected by an editor and said, oh, it's got an extra E. I didn't know that. With an so, accent. Don't forget the accent. But, uh, yeah, the accent. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So... It's not that I don't want to try. My brain just works in 30 different directions. So we wound up, uh, where did I say? Oh yeah, Mars. So there we are, not on Mars the planet, but learning how to, I know I know the original recipes for the Twix bar. And, you know, candy making is a whole nother thing that we kind of take for granted because of temperatures and times and sugars and all these different things. And so I was able to work over in London and that was just beyond fun. But what happened next was, you ready for this? I had great time. There's tons of stories from London. While I was working at Tribeca Grill, I met a little chef. Um, and we had a name for him, but I won't say what it is. But uh, he was doing his internship. And he had done his internship at, uh, at the Beverly Hills Hotel here in Los Angeles, where I presently live. And uh, he met a chef. That Doesn't was live in the Beverly Hills Hotel, by the way. She lives yeah, in the Beverly Hills Hotel. I've made favorite <laughs> hotel anyway so he was the uh intern to a guy named george marone in san francisco well eventually who wound up moving up to san francisco and his name was is michael mina that's so funny isn't that crazy so when i was uh, finishing up in new york and figuring out what i was going to do next michael said you have to come to los angeles because i'm going to do pastry with george and after that, I'm going to become a sous chef. I don't want to just do pastry. And so I wound up um, selling everything that I had, buying a, a, a pretty much a one-way ticket, having a couple of hundred dollars in my pocket and heading out to San Francisco, thinking also that I would work because I've always worked two jobs, room, uh, Rainbow Room and McDonald's at the same time. I've always worked two jobs, uh, that I would work with a woman chef because I loved working with Deborah. And... Um, wound up uh, going out there and Michael call, called me a day before I was coming out. He said, don't come out. I said, what do you mean you can't? He said, I said, I, ha I have nothing. I've sold everything. I don't even have a car anymore. And he said, well, the, the restaurant Aqua is going to be delayed. 
as restaurants too, but who knew that back then? And it was like, oh, so my friend told me to get on a plane, TWA. And so um, I wound up, I said to him, listen, you know what? I had a few words to him. And I said, you, you could have called me before, you knew full well. And I wound up uh, flying out anyway. And uh, well, it's a long story, but I wound up, there were no jobs. I called, um, I knocked, I couldn't, couldn't call back then. I actually knocked on the doors of Joyce Goldstein's restaurant, Square. I, I Barbara Trot, uh, China Moon. I went to Alice Waters and Lindsay Shear, and no one was hiring. And the only place that was looking for someone was Campton Place Hotel. And breakfast, lunch, dinner, 24 room service. <laughs> My favorite kind of thing. I could do everything, even make dog biscuits. So I went. Ogden, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Brad Ogden leaving. See, isn't this crazy? I'm Forrest Gump, um, <laughs> the female Forrest. And I wound up and he was leaving and Br and Jan Birnbaum, his sous chef, who had worked with Paul Perdome. Thank you very much. Now, mind you, this is before the Internet. So I am like disconnected from people, like pulling the plug out from New York, pulling the plug out from London, pulling the plug out from wherever I wound up going. And I'm up in San Francisco now. I know nobody really knows me and I don't know anyone. And I've got to start all over again. Do you know that when you move to California, they don't even have a refrigerator in your apartment that you have to like buy a refrigerator? So I didn't have a Yeah, this was back in the day. You like you people would take the refrigerators with them. So if I moved into it an doesn't apartment, happen anymore. <laughs> more it's kind of crazy but like all these things you're starting all over again the electric bill all these things and I was just you know flying from one place to another anyway I wound up with the job at Campton Place and with the pastry chefs and uh, what wound up happening is she was very upset because Jan got the job not her sous chef boyfriend and she quit and left and then I was left at Campton Place breakfast lunch dinner 24 room service myself and only one other bread guy and so I was hired for the swing shift. I was going to do pastry on uh, to replace her and bread to replace him on his days off. And within, I wound up working around the clock, sleeping at the hotel, starting to, you know, learn more and more about sourdoughs and things like that. And, um, and we, again, we didn't have the internet. <laughs> so there you are trying to figure out all of these things. You look at a magazine or you try and find a book. There was barely anything. And it's all experience. This is, you know, a big thing. And, and I think that's really important because I really want to talk about that. How much more work mm -hmm. it took to gain the knowledge, uh, right? Yeah. Nothing yeah. was, it, it, you had to take meticulous notes. You had yeah. to be continuously learning from your errors or somebody else's errors. You yes. could knock on the back door of a pastry shop and ask, but they would usually tell you to pound sand because they didn't want to give away their secrets. That's right. Such a, uh -huh. it was, and, and at this time, and what year is this, Sherry? Because I'm, I know about all this because at that point. 1989, 1989, 90. So, well, my gosh, 30, 30, yeah. I don't know, a so long like, time. I'm, I'm literally going into my freshman year at culinary school, 1990. Right. Yeah. So like I'm hearing about all this stuff. I know who Jan Bierenbaum is. This is right before he left to go open Catahoula in Calistoga. So like then you've got Bradley left and opened one market yeah. and he had Lark. Actually, no, he didn't go to open one market. He opened Larksbury. Lark yeah. Lark yes. And, and I think there's so much to be said for that time period, because if you wanted to know about a restaurant, you had to go. You had yes. to eat there and you had to nick a menu. You had yes. to literally take a menu. Yes. You had yes. to. 
And I've got file folders full of them from everywhere I've yeah. ever eaten. And yeah. I think those were the times where it was like, it was a ferocious way of gathering knowledge. You never could stop. Right. The curiosity was just on un, un, ending. And uh, I think it served me very well. I still to this day create Excel programs. If I showed you my chocolate chip cookie Excel program, because every time the New York Times comes out with another new one, I know pastry baking math and I put them side by side and I'll look and I can actually tell you I'm, I'm a really good resource. I can tell you, oh, that really came from the joy of cooking from 50 years ago. I mean, I can just immediately look looked on those things. Uh, it's all the bluff. I love it. Losing. You know, you're sleuthing and you, there's uh, read the book, Malcolm Gladwell, right? Um, tipping point, 10,000 hours. You know, I honestly, I, I go by two trains of thought here um, and I've got so many stories to go along with it, uh, but that, uh, you know, it does take 10,000 hours to master something. Um, I would like to have a conversation with uh, Mr. Gladwell and say, what's your, your, you know, can we shave maybe 2,000 hours off that now? or maybe 5,000 hours off that now, because we didn't have the opportunities that people have now to, and I use them. Let me tell you something. I don't stand back and say, oh, technology. I, I You will look at my Instagram, you'll see that I don't post. Instead, I take my time sleuthing and looking and watching and seeing what other people are doing and being excited and curious about everything that's going on and continue to add to my Excel sheets and watch, you know, watch, you know, because to me, I could, it's like, it, if I'm a fixer, as I love to call myself, I'm a fixer, someone calls me and says, uh, hey, I'm having a problem with XYZ. I go into time, temperature, all of that. I figure, you know, what flower you're using. I can, I can answer somebody's question over the phone. It's so, it like, it turns me on like you would not believe. Um, so often if someone just picks up a recipe and, and listen, old dogs like us could get really, uh, salty about it and you know sour grapey about it uh, and say well you know these kids they don't understand because they could just pick up uh, food 52 and there are those guys over there that wrote you know the genius recipes and all that um, I take it deeper I'll actually you know someone from the LA Times writes a, a you know thing about pasta cheesecake and they're referring to someone that has maybe visited you know, visit Lavigne to see the boss cheesecake, then come back and try and experiment, experiment. Well, hell no. I get on a plane and I fly to, you know, to, to, uh, to Spain. And I sat with the people and I watched and I watched and I watched the girl and I watched the, you know, and how, and I understand more. I'm like so crazy passionate. So I can't be bitter about the people that, um, that uh, I get more concerned about the writers that then, you know, they, you know, they say, the winners write history uh, that don't often do the due diligence to really find out where that chocolate truffle lava cake that is now on the Domino's menu comes from. You know, where did it really come from? And so, you know, there's a couple of times where some, you know, thirsty writers pick up, you know, pick up a pen and go do a little due diligence, but it's not enough as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, how do you have, what is experience is fucking things up and knowing how to fix it eventually you know that's uh, the next part of it is insanity keeping repeating the same thing over and over again and not learning from it so yeah i think there's two ways of doing it is you know don't beat a, don't just join and beat them and i think yes kids do need to do um more due diligence as they're coming along we can't help it um, one of my favorite places to start people is just get Daniel Ballou's Letters to a Young Chef book, you know, before you even think about being in this industry. I love Danielle. I worked with him 
at uh, Lacerte back in the day. Yes, there's another um, another uh, Forrest Gump shout out. You know, I was an intern at Lacerte back in the day, but the old, old one. And uh, he, he writes in this Letters to a Young Chef. It's just this gracious, smart, real book about, you know, what it's like. And... Uh, and I think it's a very important read. And there's a lot of important reads. And you remember for- this one, Sherry? Oh, yes, indeed. This book was a catalyst, I think. It, 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 it really, becoming a chef. Like that book, I think, was really, really pivotal for a lot of people to really see the insides of what it took for chefs to get where they were. Yeah. And, Especially and- for me. You know, that this book came out when I was like working for Mark Miller. I actually had the original draft copy. Wow, incredible. Because Mark was looking at it and putting notes in it. And Tatiana was Mark's marketing director at the time. Oh. And I got to see the book before it came out. So it was so pivotal. Tell your girlfriend right there. Yeah. You know, and and it 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 those are like you're saying, those moments it gives you an insight into how much time and energy and the practice and we all make mistakes, right? Yeah. But yeah. the measure of our success is how we deal with problems, how we learn to grow from them. Yeah, and God. I think that um, not everything always looks perfect, but sometimes it's the most delicious thing in the world. And um, well, you just have to find your voice too. I think yeah. you know. You know, I'll make another reference: is um, uh, breads in New York City, for example. They came out with a babka years ago, and Ori, who is the original. Uh, pastry chef or baker rather um who now lives in israel and has his own shops you know he's the brain behind all of this and he wrote a book called breads and uh then you have all these copycat if you will and now someone's the master of something it is and often in our field what happens is we're at, at it in the day-to-day you know listen at spago i didn't make any one thing it made a million different things and so sure somebody could come in and cherry pick um any one thing from the repertoire and then open up a business i mean shit the heck with the kids what about all these guys in the industry from um and i'll call it out cheesecake factories and all of those guys even houston's they would and i respect all due respect let me tell you we open up spago who are the first ones in the first two weeks in the chairs butts in chairs all of these people in the industry because they want to see what you're doing they want to you know it's a mutual admiration society i admire the fact that they showed so the company for 360 and then 720 million dollars i'm sure my numbers are off but i do love that kind of side of things the um you know the fact that it could turn into big business and if we're smart enough at what we're doing we can ride that wave along with it rather than just be poached, you know, things poached from us, whether it's people that work with us or ideas that we have. I think, you know, you can't, you have to be clever and and also know what you want. You know, I could, again, complain and, and be upset that, um, I don't know, someone is doing something that I did 30 years ago, but because the internet wasn't there, um, no one knows that I put macaron and I made, I, I honestly think that I'm the first person who ever took flavors you know was over at La Durée and I with Pierre Hermé and watching what they were doing back in the day and, and I worked with um, 
the pastry chef uh, from Lenote at Rainbow. When Albert Kuhn left, the pastry chef Lenote came and he said to me, do you know how to make cookies? And I said, yes. And so I wound up making every kind. And, and let me tell you, they call me Miss Meringue for a reason, because there are so many different ways of making macaron. The type that we know right now is Joubert, Joubert macaron, but there are so many different variations and versions, including this one, Chris. This is crazy. I'm obsessed about finding where this one came from. A friend of mine uh, brought this back from France from a village at one point and said, just threw the cookies at me. And I honestly got have had them on my desk. And she said, I can't remember what shop it was. And I know exactly how to make them, but I want to find the shop. It's on my bucket list. And so, um, you know, learning all those different techniques, I came back and said, why do they all have the same freaking flavor? Because they're just putting food color in them. And why can't we put more flavors in them? So I, I started to play with adding subs, um, subbing out the, um, uh, sometimes they put glucose or sugar. I put in molasses and I turned it into a gingerbread macaron filled with an apple, just beautiful apple butter from the farmer's market that I had made. And, and then I put them on sticks. I did all that. I did peanut butters. I did all these flavors. And we had for, for Meals on Wheels one year, we had the rainbow. We called the Good Ship Lollipop. And I had all the girls with sailor hats. And I had this big rowboat. I had this ombre color. This is probably 19, I don't even know, 1998. And talk about before it's time. I mean, if we had pictures of that, I might've gone viral, but who like, who cares? You know, that's, it is what it is. You, you make your choices, you pick what you want to do and then you just stick with it, you know? Yeah, so I just go off on tangents. <laughs> so you, 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 you're now working at Campton, you know, and how, how did you get to Wolf? Or how did Wolf? Oh, okay. Um, so Hopskitch, uh, you mentioned Catahoula before, and you mentioned Jan Birnbaum. So what happened was I was at um, Campton Place, loved it. I mean, it was my breakfast, lunch, dinner. I slept there. I loved it because we did. I mean, I had people come in and I, I knew their names and, and everything that I learned from Drew, I applied to Campton Place. There wasn't anyone's need. I anticipated absolutely everything from Freshly Scores, Orange Juice. And we had so many people coming back and forth to LA, from LA to stay there. It was this boutique hotel. This is also where I met Jacques Papin and Julia Child because they were shooting at KQED there in San Francisco. And Julia would get up so early in the morning. Oh my gosh, Jack would get up so early in the morning. And there I was pulling the croissant out of the oven and they would come downstairs and just such beautiful, wonderful times. And uh, within a, a kind of a, a, a whisk of a moment, the, they had stopped coming. They stopped, stopped shooting at KQD for a period. Jam was leaving. We had this new chef from Grey Coon's Kitchen, who was going to take over in the pastry, uh, take over Campton Place as the chef. I was so excited about him coming because I thought, finally, somebody from New York who gets it. And we did not blend at all. He wanted to, oopsies, he wanted to change everything. And, you know, that's the chef's vision. But this is when you come to a cross, uh, you know, a, a, let's say cross in the road, where I just said, I you know, he didn't want to make the bread anymore. He said, there's semi-fredo, there's acne breads. Why are we making bread? And at that point, four years later, it was my soul. You know, I didn't mind working. I mean, honestly, I was working upwards of 18 hours a day, six, seven days a week. I just loved it. It was my family, the, the guests to the people that worked there. I, we had an employee cafeteria there that they said was the second best kitchen in 
in America, uh, uh, in, in San Francisco, because we did things like I would make pop tarts for the kids in, in the employee cafeteria. I, I just, I, I loved it so much. And so when he came on, uh, I said, it's time to go if you're going to change all the bread and all of that. So I wound up getting in a car because I had never, after all those years, drove up the coast. I drove up the coast, Big Sur, oh my gosh, saw what California was really about and said, okay, I'm going to stop and visit Jan. And when I walked into uh, Catahoula in Calistoga, he came up and was hugging me so hard. He says, you have to, you, you, you resigned. I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to take you with me, but if you resigned, would you think about staying here and taking over that we're opening up in two weeks? <laughs> So I wound up taking over in Catahoula um, and, and doing the pastries there. And it was my like, oh, actually, oh, my God, there's so many stories. Um, my second time being reviewed. That was really cute, crazy huge. But um, there and while I'm there, I'm friends, by the way, with Janet Ricola, Emily Lucchetti, big shout out to like the OGs of pastry in Los, uh, in San Francisco. Uh, and we were talking and Janet called me and said, I uh, I think there's a possibility for, actually, no, Jan, she didn't call me. She gave my number to Wolfgang Puck. That's what happened. She gave my number to Wolfgang Puck. And next thing you know, I came home one day on one of those answer machines, beep, beep, beep. And it said, hi, this is Wolfgang. You call me back. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is such the greatest Wolfgang Puck impersonation. So I called my friend back east and he said, I didn't call you. And so I called the number back and the person uh, on the other side of the phone said Spago and I hung up the phone because at that point, I think it was a, a Sunday night at like 10 o'clock at night, hung up the phone and then thought, oh God, am I gonna, you know, sometimes when you're a kid, you're still, I'm still a kid, I was just about 30 at that point. I thought, am I gonna call this guy back? What do they want from me? So anyway, I wound up calling him back. Uh, he said, okay, I hear really good things. You need to come down, you need to see me. When's your next day off? And by this time it was Monday and I said, well, we're closed on Tuesday. He says, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. And I wound up getting on a plane that next day. And he started introducing me to the, as the pastry chef. Well, let me go back. It was just a whisper. He, um, we sat down. I got on a, a flight at eight in the morning. I was there by nine o'clock. We started to chat. Uh, by one o'clock in the afternoon, I looked at him and said, don't you eat lunch? Don't you eat? And he's like, oh yeah, we got to go out. But before then, he had shown me a menu and he showed me the uh, what happened was uh, I said, I don't have a resume. Like you called me. I don't have a resume. I brought chef clothes. I don't know what you what, what's the story. He said, I said, but I do have this. And I pulled out a box like, uh, you know, the old recipe cards that we have. But the, inside the box instead were, were drawings of every every dish that I had ever created because I couldn't afford a camera and I couldn't afford to develop the pictures. So I would just draw them out on cards. And I said, this is all I have to show you. And he said, hold on. So we brought the menu over to Spago, uh, Spago's menu over to the table and he flipped it upside down and he took a pear tart and matched it with my pear tart. And he said, ah, oh. he said, I like to draw too. I made this menu myself. Now at that point, 10 years ago, I had graphic artists. They wanted to charge me $5,000. And he said, I can do it myself. And he drew out his own menu. The original menu for Spago was actually Wolfgang Puck's drawings and they matched perfectly with mine. At which point he said, he said, okay, when can you start? And I said, I, that was October. I said, I can't start until January. He said, okay, we see you in January. Never, we didn't have the internet. I didn't have a thing. Uh, he said, January 9th. Cause I said, my birthday is January the 11th. He goes, okay, you start a couple of days before your birthday. 
you said January 9th. I don't know why I plucked that knot. That, that, uh, so January the 9th, January the 8th, I drove in a car down to Los Angeles. My car broke down on the 101. <laughs> I mean, we, this is what happens to us. We don't care about money. We don't care about, I barely didn't even have enough gas to get down there. And um, I had to call my family to give me money to get the car fixed. So anyway, I wound up walking in the door uh, on the ninth in the morning at six in the morning. And the cooks looked at me and said, who are you? And I said, I'm the new pastry chef. And I had this big giant toolbox because the one thing I carried with me was my toolbox. And they said, we'll see how long you last. And I lasted, I'd like to say, um, just short of three dog years. <laughs> so at that point, was Lee there when you when you came in? Oh, no. Lee was a line cook. That's amazing. He, pasta. He was, Lee was on pasta at that point. And that's actually one of my great stories. And he so, probably hit back in the head. To give people a concept, who was in the kitchen at Spago when you walked in the door? Who was in that kitchen? I'm trying to think, because at that point we had, um, there was some turnover. You had Francois Kakudongu. Um, you had Mark Vetri, but he had left already. You had this like real, before it was a real powerhouse line, right? So it was kind of that transitional point where uh, uh, Matt Nichols, who now owns um, Brothers Restaurant out in a Santa Inez area, he was he was the head. I mean, he ran that place like oh my gosh, no one's business. I mean, he 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 did all the outside catering plus all that plus set everything up. He oversaw. I mean, just a whirlwind of a guy. Incredible, incredible, incredible chef. One of those like people know who he is when you're in San Inez, but nationally people don't know who he is. And he was never one to want great recognition, but just incredible, incredible chef. And so it was this in between time because then right after that we wound up with. Thomas Boyce and Cormats and um, I'm forgetting everybody's names, but it's it's the same thing. You you wind up with generations, you know. I think we have. I think in our industry, it's like five, every five years or so, give or take. You can, you know, in my kitchens, I pride myself on ten years. Okay, meaning that in my my twenty years with Wolfgang, there were three people that connect everybody together. That's it. The person that I started with, who stayed with me until the end person who kind of came in the middle and the people at the end. So actually I'm throwing a baby shower tomorrow for one of the gals who was kind of a middle gal, Jen Shen. She's executive pastry chef for John and Vinny right now. Uh, and, and, and I think just very important is kind of keep the families together and those chains that all connect us uh, because we are one big family. We're the heck with, uh, what's his name? Uh, Kevin Bacon, right? Bacon, well, for us, it's like barely one degree of separation. Uh, in the industry, we all know each other. And the old saying, you'll never work in this town again, certainly sometimes applies if you screw somebody over. It's not It's not cool. We're family. We all work our asses off. As Gina De Palma would say, you don't have the snap. <laughs> oh, gosh. Gina. I got so many stories to talk to days. Oh, my oh. God. So I, I, we should tell the story of how we met. Oh, my God. We gosh. should tell the story because it's it's pretty hysterical and you know I, the only thing i can lead it up is i'm i'm officially been invited for the first time to be a guest chef at pebble beach food and wine okay. now for me as a young cook um i had done the masters of food and wine as jean louis assistant one year oh my goodness so to be invited back and this this was the transition Woo. going from masters to pebble beach and I was invited down to cook at Pebble Beach and I was 
beyond excited but absolutely petrified to be around oh my goodness crew of people well here's the thing i think we talked to experience before i think that you uh by then you had this this humility and at the same time confidence because you were so passionate so there was a a passionate humility about you from the moment that i laid eyes on you and you know to all folks out there be careful who's watching because you never know any moment that you're in where you're you're you know there's destiny and where we're supposed to meet and for me it was be uh my goodness i don't even remember the year but the first ever star chef congress and you were on stage so the first time i ever laid eyes on chris was the Starship Congress, he was on stage with Tony Bourdain as the moderator and Fergus Henderson. And you're going to have to remind me the third person because between the three of you, it was like being in a dream, like some sort of weird wanderlust dream. You were having a discussion of what was then so new um, head to tail cooking. And there you were. Uh, so that was probably a, almost a year before I met you at Pebble and was able to touch you because that was the first thing I wanted to do was like touch you. I just saw this this passion in you. And I and you were talking about talking about um, with Tony and, and, and Fergus about the bones and the marrow. And, and at that point, Fergus came out like something between Hannibal Lecter and Harry Potter. He was talking, you, all, you each were talking about your favorite part of the, the body, of the, the pig. And he'd say, and, and, and Fergus said, the trotter, the trotter is so succulent. It has the nya, the nya. Yeah. And, and I just was, I was seated in the audience and at the edge of my chair, this sugar butter creature, flower creature, just wanting to know more because you all were so passionate about what you were doing. And I couldn't wait. I, I ran to try and talk to you guys but there were there were 20 deep i couldn't talk to anybody and i just thought all right someday i might get to meet um meet you because i actually had met tony already do you know that tony worked at the rainbow room see forrest yeah. gump so anyway um there we were at pebble and i was like actually kind of awestruck and excited and, and kind of shy to even say anything to you because you know i'm just a pastry sugar butter girl and so i uh, finally came over to you and I said, I want to let you know how enthralled I was, how incredible this was to the point that I am like a, 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 a Wagyu. I am like the best pig, Berkshire pig ever. I drink champagne constantly. I mean, this is my intro to you. This is what I say to you. You don't even get a word in edgewise. And I said, hi, Chris, my name is Sherry Young. And um, I get massages once a week. And I even have a facial and I take care of myself and I eat only fat and, and really good fat. I love butter. I said, so I'm like one of those animals. So can, when I die, will you cook me? <laughs> and your eyeballs look like one of those, those, the, you know, those cartoons were like, boo, 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 boo. You're like, who the hell is this girl? And where's she? I just thought, my God, my body is going to go to such waste. That'd be so delicious. <laughs> You know, I'd be so delicious and who better to cook me and serve me up, but, but Chris Constantino. And you just looked at me and the, you said, I love you and you are sick. <laughs> you are <And> so <laughs> sick. <laughs> and, and we have not been separated ever since no. with utter chaos everywhere we go. Oh my gosh. I mean, and then later that night there was a rotating rack oven 
and I had, and it had been shut off, but then I like, like, I, what do you call you when you shock somebody or surprise somebody? I had the girls close the oven and say, chef, can you check this? We want to see if it's done. And it was me. And I was holding my arms up in the air and rotating in the oven. That scared the shit out of me. <laughs> and they said, and they said just stop it. You're driving me crazy. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. It pays off. Well, it's funny because I, I, I distinctly remember that event because I hid out in the pastry kitchen because uh, I didn't want, uh, I didn't want to be upstairs because it was like, at that point, it was all the big swingers, right? Yeah. All the big dudes were upstairs hogging the kitchen space. And I just came downstairs and it was you and Gina. Oh, Gina. Uh, yeah. And I was like, can I work down here? I'll be quiet. <laughs> and you guys were like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Yeah, put, put him in the corner. Behave yourself. Don't touch Behave yourself. Put him in the corner. And I remember you and Gina had to teach me how to use the dough sheeter because you were both afraid I was going to run my arm through it. Yes, exactly. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That was one of the crazier, crazier times. So now let's talk about, I mean, you you were with Wolf for how many years? Shy of 20. Okay, there. that says, and, and, and I think I, this is a really big thing. It says something about consistency. You hopped and jumped for a bit, but then you found a home and you stuck with it because of opportunity, because of learning, well, because of being pushed. Never, it was never uh, uh, the same day. I mean, I think often um, why some creatives can't stay in one place is uh, because, you know, there is an opportunity uh, and so I would say to kids that would work with me, hey, you know, you want to go stage somewhere? You don't have to, I will recommend you. And then you, you'll want to come back because then I can recommend you somewhere else at another point. I stayed there because it was the same thing for me. When I first negotiated my salary with Wolfgang, I said, I want two classes a year. This is, you know, back in 1994. I want two classes a year. And it might be that I might be, next door you know i want time off to be able to go learn something new or i might be flying to france or austria or wherever i want to fly and i want you to pay for that because that's really important to me to continue that education and so there was never any one day and if i would start to get bored i would say that it's like what, what do you want to do and i said why are you doing tv so there i was helping on tv productions for um his walking puck on the food network thing uh, so there was always, I knew that I wanted to write a book. And then I, once I wrote the first book, I wanted to write the second book. And the first book, I really wanted to write it because I, I was so cranky with all these culinary graduates that graduated from culinary school and thought they knew things. And then here I had my, you know, my Latin friends in the kitchen who knew 10 times more than them. You know, you show, you show Sixto something once, he does it as good as you the second time. The third time he's showing you how to take the you know, take the avocados and smash them through the grate that I used to cool my cakes. And there he's got his guacamole, you know, just the simplest, smartest things. And so I wanted to write Secrets of Baking to help them understand. And my ultimate goal was to publish it in Spanish so that I didn't have these know-it-alls stepping over the people who work day to day. I mean, Wolfgang still has, well, he just retired, Essay, who worked with, with Wolfgang making pasta for 40 years. And so there's that family. So, you know, it really is lightning in a bot, you know, what did it say, lightning in a bottle? All of that together, it's being held by so many different things, mostly the people that and the family that works there. And and then to ultimately challenge yourself and challenge the people that are coming in. I would wait to folks to be with me six months and I'd then guarantee that they'd be with me another year. 
you know, I wouldn't wait. I'd say, when's your expiration date? Because I'm happy to, you know, Jen Shen, who I talked about before, at one point I said, there's nothing else for you right now. We're, not, we're, in, a, we're in a stage of non-growth and I need you, let's go somewhere else and go learn something. And I, she went and got a job uh, and I said to the chef, I'm coming back for her. I'm letting you know you have her for a year. And after that, I will be back. And son of a gun, a year later, we were opening up Singapore. And I went back to that restaurant and, and he saw me like I was, you know, father time or a ghost. And he's like, oh my God. She, I said, I told you, she, she'll, we'll give you enough notice and I'll replace her, but she's out. So for me, it's the constant challenge, caring about people, constantly learning myself, asking them to learn. Uh, Monkey Boy, Steve Caramels, you know, some, I use it as an example because a kid came to me, had no culinary experience at all, no pastry experience, because that's what happens often in culinary schools. And they graduate and they have no pastry experience. And all he wanted to do is learn caramels, learn caramels. And so we wound up being together for seven years. And, you know, in time, we mastered all sorts of caramels. So it's in, important for us to inspire one another. I think that's what's kept me and my curiosity and passion going over the years is to you know, yes, I made a home and everyone kept saying, you're a lifer, you're a lifer. And I said, no, I'm not. You know, a lady knows when to leave. And it was time for, you know, it was time for me to go. I did everything that I could. You know, at one point it became Groundhog Day, opening up a restaurant in Singapore. You know, it's a beautiful city and it was great. But, you know, at a certain point, I'd rather just travel there on my own dime and enjoy it because the kitchen four walls look the same everywhere you go. And it's the same dynamic. It doesn't matter whether you speak what language you speak. There's always that sous chef that's working their butt off. There's always the chef who's making the rounds of the table. There's always the you know the prep cook. It's it's the the dynamic of what you know what a kitchen is. So it's just time for me to leave. Yeah. So what is now? Like what is what is going on? Like so you left. You've had a, a you separated yourself from Wolf. You've gone and done a bunch of fun things in between. I know, crazy things. Well, I I was going to open up the Helms Bakery. I wound up with some health issues, uh, which I'm not really that public about, not because I'm shy about it. It's just when you get really sick, you have to use every bit of your energy. Well, I found my plan was to um, use my energy to get better and not to explain to everybody that, um, you know, what I was going through. Uh, and so that was a, a, a big um, twice. I wound up with a, a, a one tumor and one and, and a, a great, uh, what did I say, that four cancer. I don't even pay attention to what it's called. I don't even want to know the name of the cancer that I had. It's not that I'm, you know, sticking my head in the mud. It had more to do with um, just getting better and fighting, you know, Um and so, you know, we would make plans and God laughs or whatever happens. And I wound up actually consulting uh, for a company called IPIC, where I went from, you know, listen, often people think pastry chefs just make cookies and ice cream all day long. Well, you know, we know how to cook. You know, a hollandaise is, uh, is a dense sabillon. A sabillon is more difficult to make. And, you know, you want to make tomato, you want to make a hamburger? Well, do you know how to make the bun? <laughs> My husband doesn't eat, you know, um, cookies and ice cream for dinner every night. So I wound up consulting for this movie company that really I felt had a vision to 
bring something exciting. Uh, and I felt in my lifetime that I was part of the rainbow room opening up and having pageantry and, and, and moments in time and with Wolfgang Puck doing what we did with the open kitchens and, you know, to then to be so many uh, disrupting experiences in my life that that would be the, you know, a great step. And again, I started as consulting and I wound up leaving as the COO of IPIC. Um, over the course of five years and opening up eight restaurants, it was certainly a, a roller coaster. When they say, why ride the merry-go-round when you can ride the roller coaster? It's a hell of a lot more fun. Um, and, and that's what I did for five years and found out that I was terribly ill and then had to have all bets off and get, get better. Uh, now went better. I officially transitioned uh, into a, a cancer survivor. And that's exciting and scary at the same time because you just never know living life one moment to the next. And just I've always been somebody to enjoy it and just be super hungry and hustle. Uh, it just gives you a different perspective about things, right? And uh, now I have a, a little, I call it my pastry lair in, uh, here in Los Angeles next to the airport in El Segundo. Sure. I live in Underground layer. My underground layer. Your underground layer where you make all my molten, toys. molten chocolate cake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so blessed that I'm able to have a space where um, I consult. I do a lot of great consulting with wonderful companies. I get to be the fixer. Uh, my space is 1,200 square feet. It's a, a bicycle ride from my house. I live in Manhattan Beach. Uh, Make good choices, everybody. Make good choices. Uh, so I made the choice to marry a really fabulous man. And we have a house in Manhattan Beach. And I'm looking at the ocean right now. And uh, we worked hard for it, you know. And I ride my bike to my little pastry layer and pick and choose the jobs that I love to do. And say that I'll, eventually maybe I might have to make a Teenage Mutant Ninja cake for somebody at some point. But at this point, I'm able to do really large scale jobs and and be creative and consult and work at my own pace, uh, which is just fun and share. I mean, that's just ultimately it. I think was it last year, year before you called me about Ritz crackers or something, you know, I'm, 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 I love when people call me like, oh, my gosh, and then I run to the kitchen, you know, and. It doesn't doesn't matter whether it's someone who bought my cookbook or if it's somebody that has incredible experience. Um, I just I love the the curiosity, the the on on you know the endless. It's endless what we could do in our business. So it's 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 a very very exciting time for me. Me and my doggies, my husband, and um, my baby kitchen. I mean, it's really funny because there's, you know, you talk about a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cake. I mean, you made my 40th birthday cake ah. for everybody who has no clue. Um, Sherry made a pig head with my glasses on it. And when you cut it open, it oozed red. Uh, actually, with strawberry jam came out, like yeah. oozing out with gummy worms inside. Worm. It worms and Gummy worms and, and strawberry blood. And that was on my 40th birthday at Pebble Beach, which was actually probably like the sixth or seventh time I'd actually been there. Um, and Sherry shares a birthday with my son. So they're yeah. January 11th, magical day, magical numbers, 111. So it's like pretty, you know, we've had so many fun adventures dancing on the top of Lexus's together. Oh, oh my gosh. With Questlove doing DJ. Drinking crazy <laughs> champagne with crazy straws, you and I. <laughs> when I used to drink. Oh, just I mean, on the shenanigans. The shenanigans have been deep, you and I. 
Yeah. Continue to be deep and continue to be more fun. So blessed. So much fun. Oh my God. Like I said, as I started, when I see you or hear your name, it just, I light up like a bright light. It's just like a firecracker. It's just, you're the best. You're incredible. Uh, somebody, somebody sent me a picture the other day and it said, there's that person in your life who you should never sit next to during a serious event. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, that is, that is true. Like Oh and the two of us together at a serious event is as not a good idea. Not a good, <laughs> not good idea at all. It's not a good idea because we start some shit. Okay, let's play a game. You ready? Uh oh. Okay. Uh oh. Okay. No wrong answers. Rapid no wrong. fire. Okay. Ready? Coffee okay. tea. What is it? Coffee or tea? Oh shit. Um, I I have to say tea. I have to say tea. There's so much more to tea, and I'm a tea person. Okay. Ready? Yeah. It's going to go fast. Hamburger okay. hot dog? Hamburger. Ketchup mustard? Black and blue. Black and blue. Uh, cat, uh, I'm, I'm a mustard girl. Mustard, mustard, mustard. Oh, my God. Okay. Whole grain Dijon? Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, whole grain or Dijon? Yes. Oh, um, uh, uh, uh. oh, God. Um, whole grain. Burrito. What's what's the next one? Burrito or taco? Burrito. (laughs) You're so funny. I'm hungry. You just I'm like starving. I know, I know. This is was just perfect timing. Okay. My mouth going over the top of a giant burrito. Ah. Sashimi nigiri. Mm, Sashimi. Yeah, of course it is. Okay. Sea urchin caviar. Oh, I have to say caviar because I, I, sea urchin made me sick once. And I just, ever since then, I love looking at it. It's beautiful, but a cat caviar. Oh my God, everything, caviar. Yeah, so. (laughs) Oysters on the half shell or clams on the half shell? Oh, this is really hard because I didn't like any one of them growing up in Brooklyn, New York. And of course, I got a story for everything. I know it's supposed to be rapid fire. But when I was a girl growing up at Randazzo's of clams and my and, and only way to get out of the car because my parents double parked the car was to make believe I like clams and I used to eat the oyster crackers. And the first time I ever had oyster in my life, you ready for this? I was at Stars with Jacques Papin and Jeremiah Tower brought me out and Jacques out a half bottle of champagne along with oysters and I had to chuck it down. Um, so I'm going to say oysters. <laughs> <laughs> that was a long one. <laughs> I've been fire. Okay. Lobster, crab. Oh, crab. Crab. Dungeness or snow crab? Snow. Snow. <laughs> no dungeon. No, snow, snow. Okay. I like that. I love that. Crab cake. Oh, God. Yes. Beef or pork? Oh, pork. pork. Duck or chicken? Duck, hello? Duck, like why do people even eat chicken? I mean, it's duck, everything. Oh, the fat, the crispy, oh, the succulent. Oh, duck, I'm so hungry. Keep going. Brown sugar, white sugar. Oh, of course, brown sugar. But, you know, I think there's like so many different types. Like uh, that's, you know, molasses. There's so many different types. Date sugar. Oh, my God. Yes, brown. Something brown, more color, flavor. Color equals flavor, everybody. Molasses, maple syrup. Mm. 
I could turn my, my maple syrup into a molasses seed, so I'm going to go with maple syrup, of course. This is fun with you. <laughs> I immediately, like, that, that chef brain competition thing goes in your head, where you're like, okay, what can I make with that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, this is hysterical. Okay, red wine, white wine. Champagne. <laughs> I knew that answer. Brown spirits, white spirits. Oh, gosh, I love gin, but I have to go with brown. I have to go with brown. But I love brown liquor. I was down in, in the bayou with the, the McAlerney family that runs Tabasco, and five o'clock comes, bam, bam, brown liquor. And if so, it's not out, it's something wrong with somebody. So I, I, I yield to brown liquor. Spicy or sweet? Oh, spicy every time, even though I, you know, ever since cancer, it's hard for me um, to have um, too much spice. Uh, I think spice, I think spicy has sweetness to it done the right way. So I, I, once again, like the maple syrup, I could coax something out of it. Yeah. Pasta, noodles. Oh, so I would say sugar is my friend, not my love, but that's, that's where, why my brain goes away from the sugar. The pasta or noodles? Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I love, I love good pad thai and I love good, I love good noodles. I like rice noodles. Dumplings, ravioli. Oh my gosh. You know what I ate last night? What? I made soup dumplings. I mean, I, I love, I love, um, you know, I love pasta and growing up in New York, but if I had to go for one, it would definitely be dumplings dumplings every time and i think italian people would too it's interesting the reaction you get from people because some people are like they're the same thing i'm like you can't no you can't God, steam no. ravioli you can't steam ravioli no, <laughs> and it's a different wrapper and i try to make you know it, and there's a real thought process right when you say noodles there's yam noodles rice noodles right there's a million different yeah 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 i immediately my brain goes towards you know robin and and you know other noodles and then and I guess I'm I'm in this time in my life I'm I'm a little less. I mean, listen, I love to make lasagna. I make my own uh, sauces and I do make my own ricotta to make my lasagna once a year. But there's nothing like a really great dumpling. Ugh, or or yeah, pad thai. Oh, let's see guilty, you get guilty pleasure. Talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, guilty pleasure is just kibitzing. You know, is just. Um, eating and hanging out with people and because we work in the restaurant business. And I remember the first time after like a long bout of, of a holiday season. And I remember Jerry Hayden sat us down at Tribeca Grill and he actually brought food out and we sat and looked at a knife and a fork like there was some strange you know, tool. I like I, everything was always like this, you know, you're running around or if you ate at all. And so for me, and in, like my crazy indulgence is just to just to hang with really great people. That's like that's wow, and I miss that during COVID. I just miss that so much. Just telling stories and hanging out with everybody. And I mean, if anything, COVID taught I think a lot of us is that that uh, that that is an indulgence to not waste any time and and uh, spend good time with people. Yeah. But if it was one thing only, it would be champagne, caviar, and ice cream. <laughs> I love how you mix them all together into one word. That's good. Well, we can have everybody together doing those things. Okay. 
Favorite candy? Oh, it has to be the Twix bar. Well, because you can make them, you cheater. Yeah, that's why. Because I make them, <laughs> I make it with the right sugar, too, by the way. Yeah. Favorite fast food? Oh, favorite fast food. Favorite fast food. God, I don't eat fast food. What do I eat that's fast food? Well, I grew up at McDonald's. I was like, oh, I don't eat fast food. That's so crazy. Then there's your answer. It's that simple. Gosh. Now I want to go try some fast food. Meatballs or sausage? Oh, I'm a meatball girl, but I love sausages being from Vienna. Being a Viennese girl and all different types of sausage. If I had to pick one before I die, uh, would, you know what? It would have to be meatballs. Be meatballs. Left. There's only two left. Favorite pizza? Oh, good square. A good square. Oh my God. In the black pan where it's nice and crispy underneath. And then you've got, I had a, in Florence, Italy, it was just so incredible. They did it in the black pan. It was so crispy and fluffy and it was topped with homemade ricotta. And oh my gosh, it was an all white pizza. Just sexy time. Oh my God. With champagne, of course. Of course. No, you were having, you were probably having Lambrusco. Lambrusco. No, it was, it was, yeah. Prosecco. Prosecco. All right. Last one. Chocolate okay. or fruit? Oh, I'm a farmer's market girl. I have to go fruit all the way because again, there's so many dimensions to fruit. So I farmer's market, fruit, fruit, fruit. Yeah, I didn't pay. You know, it's funny. I didn't pay attention to chocolate until I was probably at least 10 years into the business because to me, all you're doing is melting down a product and then putting it in with something, but the way you can manipulate fruit from poaching it to... Oh, my, my favorite recipes is that ring of Saturn peach that when it first came out was just to leave it alone, just poach it barely, then dust it in flour and then dust it in egg and then dust it in spicy anise biscotti, pistachio biscotti crumbs and bake it like a freaking donut. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it was so funny when I hear about copycats, there were people that actually didn't know that the ring of Saturn peach existed 20 years ago. And so there's a, there was a restaurant here in Los Angeles that had their team sculpting peaches to make it look like a donut. Oh I know, God. absurd, right? Absurd, because they had and come to Fitz, my restaurant. And Fitz was turning over. In his... Fitz, well, that was just it. That was the story. Okay, really quick last story. So I went to the farmer's market, Fitz Kelly, who's incredible, Airy Farms, is now retired, son of a you-know-what. And uh, he said, Sherry, come here, I come to the back, I wanna show you something. And he brought out this peach and I said, oh my God, how many cases do you have? And he said, I have three. I said, I'll take all three. He said, no, you can't have all three, I gotta share them with all the other chefs. I said, okay, here's the story, Fitz. You're gonna go and you're gonna ask everybody what they're gonna do with them. And if they say a cobbler, a pie, a sorbet, ice cream, they're out. You're not allowed to have these peaches. They can have anything else on the table. They're not allowed to have them. And I said, I'm going to whisper to you what I'm going to do with them. And when I do, you're not allowed to sell them to anybody else. I'm going to go shopping. And I told them what I was going to do with them, right? Turn them into an actual donut. So, and I served them. I poached them in verbena that was from Coleman Farms. And I made a verbena gelato that was going over the top of it. Anyway, so I go away for an hour and I come back shopping. And I said, so what's the story? He goes, you owe me for three cases of peaches. So nobody for two years got those peaches except for me. Because people wanted to cut them up and put them in pies. 
So that's why I wound up doing that. And that's why people started to sculpt the freaking, I was laughing my ass off. They were sculpting beaches. It's such a waste. So ridiculous. It was just fun. That was the mentality because listen, when I first came to Spago, they were making a cheesecake and it was a cheesecake flan. And I said, they did not invent this. I know they didn't. And I kept trying to figure out where it came from, where it came from. Son of a gun, happy in the kitchen comes out 10 years later after I was with Wolfgang. Michelle Richard, God rest his soul, most genius pastry chef, chef, just chef, screw pastry chef, chef. And so in Happy in the Kitchen, I look and because I study every book, I'm a freak like you. You've got how many thousands of books behind you? I I look through the book. I'm, I put tabs on things and I look and son of a gun, I see the, the cheesecake flan in there. I said, guess what? Of course, Spago didn't copy it the right way. They just took regular cheesecake and they made a flan and they put it upside down. Of course, Michelle did it more like a flan and had all these beautiful combinations and sexiness to his recipe. But that's what happens. We all go and get inspired by one another and then we recreate. And so that's kind of the full circle moment, right? Of yeah, uh, brunch, he was the best. Mm -hmm. He was amazing. That was mm -hmm. just so everybody knows that was Michel Richard's nickname because he always had a beautiful crunchy element, whether it was a savory or sweet dish. He was just so ahead of the curve. Genius. Um, Genius. God, I remember meeting him at, at his place when he was in uh, Citronelle in, in DC. I took a class what? there. I took, a, I took, I paid to take a cooking class from the only non housewife in a class taking a cooking class with him part of you i mean he's just genius talk about candy bars you know he recreated the kit kat i mean i could go on for days about his genius and how you know smart he was and we we did a, an event at the cia with all pastry chefs and he was there and I literally went with him from table to table because we're all, we all had two days of learning. And then we had a day where we're all going to be in a kitchen together. And I walked around and I said, that was inspired by you. That one was inspired by you. That person is doing that. They don't even know that they did it. It's kind of like the devil wears Prada when she says, you know, you don't realize that cerulean blue, that sweater that you picked up from the casual corner was picked by the people here in this room. And it's not just any blue, it's cerulean blue. Well, that was, Michel Richard. He certainly was uh, incredibly inspiring and uncompromising. I mean, he hit me in the head more times than not. Mm -hmm. uh, just just because he liked me. And imagine if he didn't like you. Holy shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jerry, uh, please tell everybody where if they want to reach out to you, if they want to order a cake, if they want to find you, where can they find you? Okay, so um, if you want to bring me on board for some really fun, creative, challenging thing, um, give me a holler at uh, just Sherry uh, Bakery by the Yard, bakerybytheyard.com or just Sherry Yard at Gmail. I don't really, I don't want to do cakes for any, like just any occasion, unless you say, oh, you know, it's something like I've never done before. Um, so just reach out and say hi. I'm more about that, you know. I'll give everybody my cell phone number. It's all good. Don't if do you that. have something. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Because you know what's so funny? I used to put my number on all the business cards as we opened up every restaurant and you might get two people because people don't want to bother you. And the people who really want to, you know, connect, connect, will connect. So connect with me if you need anything or experience or have a question about something. I'm out there. I'm in, in the, you know, in the, in the clouds, the pink pastry clouds. Pink pastry clouds made of cotton candy. Barry, <laughs> I love you to death. You're the best. I love you more, 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 more. You're the best. Kisses to Easton and Tatiana and everybody.
Porsche. I'm so thrilled and honored to be on this this uh, little corner of your world. It's just uh, I, I will remember this the rest of my life, brother. Thank you. You're the best. Thank you, Sherry. Bye.